This is Stacy Eldridge. Welcome to Captivated. This world vies for our attention in a thousand different ways. But the most important thing, the preeminent thing, the essential thing, is to give our attention to Jesus. Welcome, beloveds of God. This is Stacy, and I am so happy that you are joining me today. My prayer for you this morning is that you are sensing the presence of God, His love that surrounds you. May it penetrate your heart. And I pray, too, that this would be a day of increasing rest deep in your soul. Today, we're continuing our series on hearing testimonies with the power of testimony. This is the third of our series, and I am loving this because it quickens my heart to hear other people's testimonies. It makes me remember my own, where God intervened, interfered, and intersected my life just as he did yours, and then it brings me such gratefulness. Today, I am so happy to have in the studio with me my beloved friend, the brilliant, and I'm sure you know her already, Sherry Snyder. Hi, Sherry. Hi, Stace. Hi, friends out there. Hi, hi. (laughs) Yay. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to our time together and hearing more of your Reader's Digest version of yes. your testimony, yes. Yes. your walk with God. So I'm going to ask you some questions. Yes. And then feel free to go as long as you want on okay. them. Okay? Okay. So let's start at the beginning. First, I would love to hear about the journey of your faith. What, what was it when you were growing up? Yes. Thanks, Stace. Um, Stace, as I come to this question, I notice um, that I have been so many different ways of my story. I've been um, the sheep lost in a thicket. I've been Nicodemus doubting the new birth. I've Mm. been the man in the tombs um, possessed and tormented by evil spirits. Mm. I've been Martha envying Mary's intimacy. Mm -hmm. I've been um, an onlooker wondering about this Jesus. And I have been a brokenhearted little girl needing uh, the love of a father and the love of Jesus to rescue me. So it's just, I, I thank you for this opportunity to reflect. So part of my story is I was born um, 1977 into a small Midwestern college town. And what I didn't realize, and I'm still Jesus is helping me understand it, is I was I was born into, obviously, like you guys have pointed out in the sacred romance, right? We're born into a story already going. Yes. And there was a, I, I'm coming to realize now there was a cultural story going in the 70s. Yeah. Oh, yes. That I am only dipping a toe in understanding. But there there was a, um, a question in American Christianity happening of what is the gospel? Who is God? Mm. What is Jesus? What is the Bible? And I was born into a mainline Protestant environment among my different family members, extended family, and in our community, um, I would say a variety of people. There was kind of post-Christian secularism that had walked away from it altogether, including some of the professors that I was around in the college environment. Um, Growing up in a college town, there were mainline Protestants, there were Pentecostals, there were 
sort of what we might call like fundamentalist mm -hmm. and there was evangelicals. And I just, even as a little girl, I, and I, to this day, I, I found it all very like kind of perplexing. Yeah. And, um, so I found myself, um, so there's, there's the question of what is the gospel that was kind of not answered clearly for me uh -huh. as a little girl. Additionally, um, I was a highly sensitive and not, I'm learning not in the classic way. Like I didn't have like tactile sensitivity, like my skin wasn't sensitive, but emotionally sensitive mm -hmm. little girl with big feelings and a deep um, desire to be loved and yes. to be, like you mentioned in Captivating, to be seen, to be delighted in. Yes. And you and I have talked about this, but I have um, a core memory from when I was about four where I was also, I was the second daughter mm -hmm. of a beautiful, loving family. And part of evil scheme in my life was setting up a impossible triangle with my dad and my sis. Mm -hmm. And I've talked to them both about it. And dad, Deb, hi. I imagine that someday you're going to listen to this. So we've talked about it. We've processed it as a family. And... Um, it was real for me. Yes. And what I noticed is my family um, was not, not equipped to handle the reality of spiritual darkness, targeting and coming with lies and having a strategy. And that was, we just weren't equipped for that. Mm -hmm. And so in the way that evil hunts all of us, the way that evil haunted me was through um, self-hatred and a deep sense of something being terribly wrong with me. So in this setup, when I was about four, my amazing intrepid sister was like flying down this big slide into um, a lake and I was feeling really timid. And I asked my dad if he would accompany me down this kitty slide. And when we went down the kitty slide together, um, he broke his foot at the bottom of mm. the slide. Mm. And I remember standing on the beach. This is, again, my memory, my take on the story. And Jesus has ministered to me so much in this. But um, you know, prior to Jesus's ministry and inner healing, whenever I would talk about this, I would just weep because it, so, it was so painful. It's interesting to talk about it and notice you know, the emotion is settled. But I remember thinking, if only I had not desired my dad to come with me, if only I had been more brave, if only I had been more like my sister, my dad oh. wouldn't have gotten hurt. Right. So somehow you caused it. It caused it. Mm. And this kind of this message of like my being um, brings harm and I better really get vigilant about kind of monitoring myself so that I don't hurt people. I'm imagining you trying to shrink. Yes. And, and then also that if only I were more like my sister, ah. then, you know, and my sister is amazing. And I think it's interesting how, in some ways, that theme in the scriptures of sort of challenge between siblings is, is right. Oh yeah, it's thematic, real. and what God intends for our sibling relationships, mm -hmm. and then how the enemy hates that and right. hates the division it. and the comparison. He wants to yeah, bring it in. Yeah. So, anyways, that was a real part of my story, and so projecting that onto God in ways that um, I wasn't wasn't conscious of, and still. I'm bringing more consciousness to that I really, like if only I were a different kind of girl, if only oh, I were a different yes. kind of woman, then I would be pleasing to God mm. and he would want to love me. Mm. And I had a sense that 
some deep sense that maybe God loved me, kind of this distant God who was not actively intervening in the world anyways. Whoever this God was, there was maybe generalized love because God was obligated by his character. Yeah, because he had to. Yeah, he had to love me. so relatable, Sherry. He had to love me, but there were some girls that he loved because they were just delightful Mm. and spontaneous. And so much of my inner life was marked by either trying to imitate the girls that I thought were lovable or um, just sort of a low-grade despair of Mm. sort of being sentenced to a life of being um, not delightful and then setting myself on a self-saving project of I will just work really, really hard. So when you, whenever you talk about it, Stace, about the posture of rest, and thank you for bringing it up in your testimony a couple of weeks ago, was just that lifelong practice of coming into a place of rest from this hustling that I was so committed to, just hustling and working so hard to be worthy of love and to kind of edit myself and like, you know, try to be a little funnier and a little less sensitive and a little sweeter and a little less intense and just kind of, you know, trying to turn all the knobs in, in really an exhausting project. Yes. So all that to say is that starting around the age of 10 is when like that self-hatred really started to burrow down oh, into yeah. me. Yes. So from 10 to 18, there were these various iterations that we don't have time to go into it. But when I was 18, I had my first about a really debilitating anxiety. Um, the context of it was trying to decide where to go to college. And as I look back, I can just see my orphaned heart mm. lacking attachment to my creator. I think that what, was, what I see exposed in that was just a, a deep terror of being alone in the world, feeling sort of chronically malformed or misprinted, like something went wrong in the... Um, when someone like dialed in to create me, like they put in the wrong code they and something. they missed something. And so that was just a low grade despair over that. And then um, no attachment to our God. Yeah. And therefore this terror of feeling like the, my fate is in my own hands. It's all up to you. All up to me. And instead of, um, I remember at my graduation, I finally made that decision where to go to college. And I remember instead of being out, like celebrating, I was like curled up on the floor of my parents' bedroom, just sobbing and hating myself, hating, Mm. hating the world that I'd been born into that seemed to have, you know, the people who just kind of could handle it. And then maybe some who couldn't, of which I seemed to be that, that type. Additionally, as Paul talks about, I was also blinded to what, you know, in Second Corinthians, Paul writes about the, the God of this age blinding our hearts to the glory of God in the face of Christ, mm. that I did not yet also have a revelation yes. of Jesus. And so fast forward, I end up going to a college in the South, which I thought was going to be just a terrible fit because there was just so many beautiful, poised, women at this college that I went to, but God was pursuing me and intervening. So I met Christians and I remember it was a crack up because, you know, I came, my high school was um, pretty degenerate. So almost everyone in my circles had a fake ID. Oh, yes. And that was just part of our way. And so I got to know these Christians and we had like a dance at the beginning of the 
after coming, there was some sort of social. And I was going with this Christian group, and I remember asking them, so guys, like, I don't know if anyone else does, but I have a, like, I have a fake ID. I can take care of getting us alcohol. <laughs> and they were like, I like huh? alcohol wasn't a part of their practice. Wow. Wow. And I was like, what? I just had not met teenagers for whom alcohol wasn't yes. a part of their practice. Yes. I didn't even know that existed. And these Christians were so kind to me. And they were, most of them were Southern. Some of them were from the Midwest, but they just by God's grace, took a lonely, unprepared Midwesterner under their wing. And um, one of them, older Christian in this group, was uh, my dear friend Morgan. And the first he and I had met um, the summer before he had been my orientation leader. And he had recently had a new birth. He was had a truly born-again experience. Morgan. Morgan Snyder. Okay. He invited me to church the first Sunday that we were there, and um, I just remember I'd never—no, I shouldn't say I'd never, but I had rarely been in an environment of just that kind of worship, and yeah. I was just like, what in the world? So it was, it was just like coming into a brand new experience. So fast forward is that I started to talk to the campus pastor that these Christians were part of this campus ministry, and I went in with kind of my post-Christian, I guess, convictions about the scriptures. And I just said, you know, I, I don't, what I had absorbed from my childhood, and I don't know exactly where this message came, whether it was overt or, or covert, was um, that the scriptures were unreliable, that the New Testament accounts were unreliable, that there had been, you know, conspiracies that went into making the Bible and the resurrection was symbolic, but not real and blah, blah, blah. And this pastor was so, he's such an agent of God's winsomeness and play with me because the pastor, instead of falling for like a debate, yeah, he just encouraged me to go and start reading the Gospel of John. And so I remember curling up in my little dorm room and just starting to read the Gospel of John and being so affected by Jesus mm -hmm. and by his, like the way he related to the Samaritan woman. And I just was arrested. And to this day, Stacey, I was telling you about it, I felt um, to turn toward an affirmation of the deity of Jesus and the realness of him, A, obviously, just personally, that would mean just a complete 180 in my life. Right. I mean, I didn't know exactly what that would mean, but I just knew to, to kneel before the lordship of Jesus would be monumental. Additionally, it felt disloyal to my family of origin, who oh, yes. I love so much. And I just was concerned that um, I was going to be disloyal to them. And what would that mean? What would that look like? I, I think whatever, you know, back to that deep desire to belong, I yes. think that already I struggled with a sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. I so desperately wanted to be like my dad. Mm -hmm. And to this day, I still want to be like my dad. And my dad and I have just over the last 15 years, and it's a story for another time, how God has slowly led us um, just one story at a time, walk through these moments of um, pain in my story that, you know, of which I shared one, but that theme of doing something that hurt him or frustrated him or angered him was very consistent in my experience. So it felt like it was just going to kind of nail the coffin. Right. Put right. the nail in the coffin of like, yeah, I don't belong to out. them. I'm yeah. out. And Again, not that that was ever said, but 
it just felt that way. I felt like I had to choose between them or what was stirring in my heart. And I had a boyfriend at home. And I mean, it was just a lot. Mm. There was a lot at stake. Sure. So, yes. So then all that to say is one night I was at a, uh, was, this was late September. I was at a fraternity party and I, I, it was like my self-saving was pegged. One of the gifts God has given me is a genuine delight in meeting people. And I actually am also like, like when I'm at my best, which is not as much as I wish, but um, I I have a, I think Father made me to be able to remember their stories, remember their names. Yeah, just uh, enter into a sense of presence with someone. Yes. And again, that had been, that gifting that Father gave me had been co-opted in my strategies for self-saving and um, uh, hustling for worthiness. And, and do you like me? I'll remember your name and I'll remember your story. And right. I'll That's do everything I can to make you feel special mm. and so that you, 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 like me. you like me. So this was late September and um, I was at this fraternity party. So God was working, obviously, in my heart, brought me into these Christians invited me to read the Gospel of John, and there was a civil war inside of me. I, I, was, I was still, the best I knew was to, to work to save myself. And so I was at this fraternity party, and I could just tell that I was sort of hustling to be liked and to be um, seen and to be delighted in. And I came home, and I remember laying in my bed in my dorm and just feeling this wave of despair. And frankly, at that time, um, without the grace of God, it turned to self-loathing, where I was just like, you piece of crap. Look at you, you know, using other people to meet your own needs. And, and I, I just laid there, and that pattern of self-hatred in me just broiled and um, it was a Saturday night. The next morning, I woke up, and I just felt this urge to set out. I have, since I was a little girl, one of the ways God has romanced me is I was often, actually, almost always a morning person. And uh, I was the first one up in our household when I was a little girl. And I've always found the morning to be a place of um, peace for me, kind of before everyone else wakes up. Yeah. So I woke up early and I just felt this impression to seek out this little Episcopal chapel on our campus. And um, I'd seen it before. And so I go and, oh, Stacy, I walk in and it's just, I think it was a taste for me, a fresh taste. And it wasn't the first taste, but it was a fresh anointed taste of the kingdom of God. There were men and women there who were homeless. There were men and women there who were singer-songwriters in the Nashville that would just um, sort of anonymity attended, uh-huh. is that the right? How do yeah, you say it is. That's attended you this it. little church. I mean, this church was so little and the light was streaming in and it was just impressive and caught my breath and romanced my heart from the second I walked in and um, the light was so beautiful and the green, this green rich carpet. And I just, I couldn't even believe it that I was there. So then the epistle reading that that day was from ah it tears me up from Philippians chapter two. And you and I have talked about this. Like I can't believe that this was what it was, but it was basically this so you know, this this is a lectionary 
a church that goes through electionary. So this was the reading for the day, the epistle reading. And it was Jesus who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be hoarded, something to be grasped and held onto, but in his humility emptied himself, taking the very nature of a servant and being found in human likeness. He became obedient unto death so that the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord. And I'm just, it was, and you mentioned this in your, um, and, and that's a rough paraphrase of it, but in your testimony that the scales fell from my eyes and I just, it was his lordship, it was his kingliness, but it was his humility that, I mean, I, I was rendered speechless and um, that which God had slowly been working on for, you know, years and then acutely in the last six weeks was just coming to a climax. And then we moved into the Eucharist. And before that, there was the proclamation, the mystery faith, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And so I just had the grace of faith was given to me. And I glimpsed for a moment the glory of God in the face of Christ and the Lordship of Jesus. And Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And so I take the Eucharist, I'm just like tears streaming down, and I really don't know what to do with myself. You know, one of my, like I said, for better and for worse, I have often strong feels, and so I was having strong feels. Yes. And so I end up reaching out to Morgan, who uh-huh. was the Christian at the time I was closest to, and he's like, shared. I couldn't really articulate what it was going on. And at that time, you know, there were no cell phones. So I think I called him like from the cafeteria, like uh-huh. called his dorm room and he happened <laughs> to be there. And um, he's like, why don't you come up and we'll talk? And I come up and he, and I, to this day, he doesn't even know why or how it happened, but he, w- he opened up his scripture and he read to me from Philippians chapter two, which starts with, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any fellowship with the spirit. So I think he started at the beginning of Philippians two with that like being like we've any encouragement like but then it gets to that hymn of worship of Jesus and I was just like oh my gosh I can't believe it so I left his dorm and I went to the park across the street with my little journal that I'd seen other Christians have <laughs> and I just basically be like I don't know what's happening God but like if you'll have me like I want to I want to belong to you and that has ultimately been like the frontier of what is it to belong to God and to receive belonging. And it's been, you know, Stacey, you've been such a part of it. It's like two steps forward, one step back, one step forward, eight steps back. That was in 1996, so 20, I don't know, I guess 27 years ago or something like that. So it's amazing. And then, um, and then God, he romance, started romancing me through the scripture. And, hang on, hang on. Yeah. I just want to pause. That is so holy. And just the unique pursuit of God yes. to you. To me. <laughs> to me. I know, Sherry, that you love light and that you would go into this church and that the light would be coming in in such a way that captures your heart. Do you feel the presence of God? How personal he met with you? So personal. Just so personal. 
beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. So it was just profound. And so I began to, I started attending a Bible study. I was identifying with your story, Stace, of that, you know, that, that hunger that you noticed yes. with the scriptures. And so this new hunger. And there was still the sense of pain of how to reconcile my new faith with my family, with my parents, with yes. especially with this, my dad, who I loved so yes. much. Um, and in my zeal, I think I was trying to convince him of some things. And in some ways, my fears were, came to pass that there was sure. a... Yeah. I that was the same thing with my family. Yeah. And, and I look back and I was like, my oh, immaturity. yeah, my zeal, my immaturity. And oh, Lord, have mercy. And thank be to God that that wasn't the final story. Yes. And God's kindness to me stays and my immaturity still is like, continues to be um, absolutely just not what I expect from him. Um, he's, he's teaching me to be expectant and to trust that that is his personhood. That's how he is. But I still brace or a different response. So I was reading the scriptures, but then it was interesting because part of the um, environment of the Christian ministry I was a part of, it was very, um, like my experience of it, I'm not saying this was the totality of it, but this was my experience was an emphasis on systematic theology. And so this God who romanced me and who I could see had been, you know, wooing me my whole life. I was starting to have eyes, like suddenly it just seemed like, these, I remember like this chart of this is how we grow in the love of God. And it was like charted out. And I just felt something to me was like, oh gosh, this is feeling sort of um, anticlimactic uh, and rigid and yes. Yeah. And just what felt two dimensional mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. So anyways, fast forward, I won't even go into it, but Morgan and I had a beautiful, complicated friendship. But for the most of my time at Vanderbilt, Morgan we were connected as friends, but I was growing separate from him in my faith, which was awesome. But we became more connected again and in his senior year. And then it was rather complicated and another story for another time. But when he left Vanderbilt, I didn't think I'd see him again. And I was actually really sad about that. But I also knew like, you know, onward, forward, here we go. <laughs> yeah. So then in maybe September, October, so that was 1998, I received a package from him in the mail. And it was a book called The Sacred Romance. and it was, he just said, Cher, I'm, I'm here in Colorado. I'm taking this worldview class and with this guy, John Eldridge, and here is this, like, I think you're really going to love this book. And I can't even tell you what I'm learning about, uh, about who the heart of God or something. And I was like, okay. So I, I remember leaving the little station B where my um, little college mailbox was. And I went up and again, in that theme of light to this little um, sky bridge, tiny, maybe it was just 15 feet long. It was like a unique sky bridge between two buildings. And I sat in the autumn light and I opened Sacred Romance and I was a English literature major. And again, that was a point of why did you make me like that? Like I also loved the sciences and I had applied to engineering programs and been accepted. And somehow I ended up as an English lit major, which um, something I was ambivalent about to begin with because it felt so symbolic of this part of me that I wished were different, but couldn't, couldn't deny this responsiveness in me and intrigue in me around the human story. So anyways, John and Brent, um, in their opening acknowledgments, they 
I remember they acknowledged Shakespeare and literature and music. And I was just, I mean, I just remember being breathless and then reading the sacred romance and I still have my treasured original copy and it's like asterisks and stars and to be introduced to God, who is author and hero of this story and this larger story that, um, you know, act one, as you and John have communicated, stays so faithfully to us, fellowship with the Trinity and being born out of the laughter of the Trinity. And then act two, God's heart on trial and rebellion in heaven. And that idea that, and you talk about it captivating, and it sums up for me that after the rebellion in heaven that a doubt now lingered in the universe. Mm-hmm. It, can we trust the heart of this God? Mm. Power is not the same thing as goodness. And that we know that doubt, it, it's like smoke it remains for all of us. Can you trust the heart of this God? And um, act three, uh, creation and us kicking off the honeymoon by sleeping with the enemy and humanity going under the um, authority of Satan and giving away the earth that we were made to steward in loving partnership with the Father and with with Jesus and Holy Spirit. I mean, all of it. I just was like, and then this idea that there's been these two themes, the message of the romance and the message of the arrows. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is just makes sense. So I was, fell in love with God on a whole nother level. And I just loved how you talked about in your testimony, Stace, of this growing um, faith and truly an experience of awe as my darkened mind was enlightened by God's gracious act in my life to to see, begin to see more clearly. And I love that story in the Gospels that one of the stories of Jesus healing a man with blindness and, you know, his, at his first healing, he he's able to see, but not clearly. And, but he is able to see, but it, you know, the people look like trees and um, I, I can just, that story just resonates with me and that I was beginning to see, but I uh, obviously wasn't yet seen clearly the larger story, seeing um, God, and that's, you know, an ongoing process. So all that to say is that God was slowly opening my eyes and my heart was still shattered. My eyes were blind in so many ways. I was emotionally immature in, in certain ways, and God had a lot to do to restore me. Isn't that beautiful? It's yes. really actually true that the gospel is an offer of restoration. Yes. So it's the journey of our life with our God pursuing us because he says, I have to come to that darling. Yes. I need to come for you there. I don't want you living wounded. I don't want you living in the ICU unit. Yes. So for all of us, it's the story of more. I'm going to tell just one story <laughs> early in our relationship, Sherry, I had met you a couple of times, but I didn't know you. And we were at a retreat, a small little gathering, and we were in a little circle doing watercolors. And in my lack of vocabulary, I, you know, you, you emanate such goodness. And I said, Sherry, you are so sweet. And you said, I hope I'm more than sweet. <laughs> And I go, there she is. Oh, my goodness. Definitely more. Sherry, I wish we had three hours because that is beautiful and relatable and holy, your entrance into the kingdom of God. Yes, hallelujah. Coming to know this beautiful Savior. And yes, it's a journey. Um, But can I ask you, because we're needing to bring this in for landing. Yes, yes. How is Jesus romancing you these days? Oh, my goodness. 
Oh, my goodness. Well, I'll just give a couple examples. Um, one is, and I love that this is, I have in common with thousands of others, is he is romancing me through what John collected in the Pause app. So again, it's um, this union, um, intimacy, becoming outposts of Eden. Oh, you're talking about resilience, I'm guessing. Yes. Yeah, of springs and deserts and Eden imagery. Mm. And so it's it's just completely captivating my imagination and my my heart with the Trinity. So that's been amazing. Um, additionally, he's romancing me, stays on a level that um, with his commitment as husband, as bridegroom, as um, the one who walks with me through my entire life until I see him face to face as I navigate a transition with my kids. And you know this, that when they were little, you know, part of where I was not yet converted was a deep sense of, oh my gosh, life will never get better than this, than when they are little. And a sense of, I was mourning already before it even happened, like pre-mourning, pre-grieving, they're growing up and did not have a faculty experience, hadn't yet been baptized um, sufficiently in the kingdom. My attachment with God hadn't gone deep enough at that point to bring me an assurance that that um, there would be life after having littles. And I mean, they're heading towards 16 and 19 in a couple months. And to watch what God has done in my heart and to feel Christ promise me at 45 and 55 and 65 or however long I'm on this earth and, or until his return to actually feel that bond with him as my husband, as the one who's, who has me um, by the, like walking right next to me and holding me up and with me. Thank you for honoring us by letting us get a glimpse into your beautiful walk with God, the way he intersected, the way he came. It's holy. Thank you. And so encouraging. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So encouraging. Um, Sure, can you just do a blessing over the listeners? I would love it. I would love it. Jesus, Jesus, humble, humble king, husband and bridegroom, father, Holy Spirit, I come now um, kneeling with my sisters here in this studio, and I lift up every woman who's listening. Lord, if there's any women listening who perhaps like me had doubts about your divinity or doubts about the reliability of the New Testament account of you and your resurrection or whose eyes um, were blinded like mine to the glory of God in the face of Christ. I pray, Lord Jesus, that um, your Holy Spirit would come and you would open her eyes as you open mine. And as you continue to open mine, we all ask, Jesus, for the eyes of our heart to be enlightened, for uh, more scales to fall away, that we could see you more as you are. So Jesus, come, and I pray that you would um, draw her to you so profoundly in according to the language of her heart, that she um, knows and experiences your pursuit. And Lord Jesus, for sisters who are maybe going through a time where they feel like there's just no way that I will, I'll ever feel whole or I'll ever be on the other side of despair, I pray deeper revelation of the love of God and the um, humility of Christ and the sovereignty of our Father God 
Jesus and Holy Spirit over human history, that he is trustworthy and that he will bring all things to their glorious, glorious redemptive end. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oh, friends, this has been so good. Yes, you are the beloved of God. You are the one in whom he delights. You are the one he is pursuing. And yes, he's captivated by you. This has been lovely to be together. Bless you. See you next time.